0: Welcome back to another episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. Welcome back to the second part of our discussion on advocacy in the face of racism with our special guests, Chinese adoptees Grace and May. In case you guys don't remember, last time we talked about how they became advocates, what advocacy looks like to them. And we also talked about how important it is to not only correct others' racist remarks and actions, but how important it is for you to educate yourself and unlearn the racial biases that you may have. So as Asian adoptees, sometimes I think that it is difficult to um, advocate in the sense that certain um, Asian Americans, Asian, Westernized Asians, um, not mainland Asians, they kind of question our legitimacy in in the sense that, you know, we were raised by white people and We do have some of the white privilege associated with that. You know, some of us have our white APs, last names, you know, right now with the attacks going on that are specifically targeting um, elderly people, you know, at least because our grandparents are not Asian, we don't have to worry the same amount. But on the other hand, you know, as we talked in the previous episode, we don't, because our white families aren't attuned to, um, or They don't experience racism, that they don't know how to prepare us for it, and oftentimes they don't even they don't even talk about it with us, and so that kind of puts us at a disadvantage when we do experience racism because we I think that we don't always know how to process it.
1: I think the first thing I want to say to everyone who's listening, especially transracial API adoptees, is that you're Asian enough, and your feelings are completely valid, especially with everything that's going on because. Even if you feel whitewashed, like not Asian enough, like you still have that lived Asian American or API experience. So that should not invalidate you know, the fact that you were raised by white parents, but also that's your lived experience and it's your experience. So you are Asian enough to talk about these issues and to mourn and grieve and feel angry because it, it is your community, too. And, you know, you're allowed to feel that way.
2: I think we summed it up pretty well, you know. Don't invalidate yourself. That's one thing. That's like the big thing for mods Don't invalidate yourself just because other people have invalidated you.
0: I like that. That's a really good saying. <laughs> yes, that's a that's a social media quote right there.
3: Yeah, right there. Gonna quote that.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> no, that's. But it's it's so true because I think that is quite common. You know, people other people tell us you're not Asian enough. And so we kind of start to question ourselves, well, you know, if people are telling me this, maybe I am not Asian enough, but who are they to, you Mm -hmm. know, gatekeep?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I even still like my biggest fear is someone saying that I'm not Asian enough. And even like with with other API, like when I meet them, I'm worried about like, quote, like passing, I guess, like wanting them to not know that I was raised by white people just because I want them to accept me. It's like fit in even though it's not a bad thing like you know that i'm adopted but i think i still associate like fear of rejection from white people like so then i want to be like super asian but then you know i don't want to feel rejected by them too of like not being you know not being asian enough so it's it's definitely still something i need to work on mm-hmm. but yeah, that's what i've noticed a lot of adoptees um I've shared like similar yeah. feelings, but, you know, we're all Asian enough to talk about this because we are Asian.
0: Yeah. I mean, because even within um, like Asian adoptees, there's different levels of how um, not Asian. What's a better word? Um, some people are more In tune with their culture their birth culture than other people so Mm -hmm. maybe i know there's lots of people who are able to speak their um, birth language which you know is quite difficult uh to learn especially if you didn't have the opportunity when you were younger and so there's like all those little um things like that that was one of the reasons why i originally wanted to learn mandarin
1: even though i'm from southern china where they speak cantonese but like i wanted to learn mandarin Uh, because you know when like little kids will be like oh can you even speak Chinese like that whole thing and like even though you should not let someone else tell you like how Asian you are like it just really like stuck with me I wanted to learn so if people ask me I can be like oh yeah I can Mm -hmm. or whatever but I also want to be able to talk to people who are from China like you know it's just really helped me personally yeah
0: yeah. and also I think we this topic has come up like several times but you know when we're out in the streets and you know, other Asian people will come up to us and ask, you know, you know, maybe questions or directions in your native language and you don't understand. And then you kind of feel this Mm -hmm. shame that you don't understand. Um, which obviously you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be feeling because it's not your fault. Mm
1: -hmm. But I've had I've had people like come up like at if I'm at like HMAR, which is like a Korean market, like I've had um people like Korean cashews and stuff start speaking to me in Korean though and then I'm not I'm not Korean,
0: so Yeah, I guess that makes me feel better. Just,
1: I, I I like yeah, like I don't know. I'm just like I'll I'll just say like the few Korean words I know and be like, oh thank you.
2: Yeah, I think the language like barrier, I think. It, it's really hard, you know. Obviously I also go over the whole kind of can you speak Chinese? No. But you Chinese I did kind of want to learn, but also I am kicking myself for the three years where I kind of slacked off in the lessons just because I didn't want to. You know, like, you know. I'm not Asian. Like I'm, nah. I'm not here for this. I'm, I'm white. I'm British. Everything. I don't care. Mm. Like Britain is my home. And now I'm here, just like, why didn't you pay attention in those lessons? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I had um a Chinese and a Korean in high school and both of them were like non-adoptees and both of them could speak mandarin and korean so you know they were pretty connected so i always felt like the outsider, even though like i was asian and i got mistaken for them by like teachers i still didn't feel like asian of when next to them because i didn't speak their language i you know i didn't know all the traditions as much um also when i went to china that was a big thing like after, after going to China, I was sort of like, yeah, I, I want to learn Mandarin because I want to go back again, but I'm not prepared for the amount of people that will come up to me and treat me like a translator. It is so embarrassing when someone comes up to you and you have to kind of say, I don't speak Chinese or like Mandarin, and they just give you like a blank stare, you know. It happened to be at Beijing train station and the guy started cursing me out in like broken english because i was the only chinese person there in the group but i didn't speak chinese like like literally like a middle beijing train station he comes up to me starts talking i you know like everyone else around me is stepping in you know and then he just like flips and i was not prepared for that like i i knew i'd look different you know being with a group of white people but I did feel really alienated whilst over there, so when I, like, I do plan to go back, but I do plan to go back knowing a bit more Mandarin this time just to save myself Mm -hmm. really, because it is terrifying.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do do you study now?
2: Um, Not as much as I probably should. I've started off with the basics of Duolingo, but kind of knowing stuff like the elephants eat pears it's not helping me <laughs> <laughs> I like it's almost like I always kind of need the basics but I do want to kind of be able to hold a conversation and Duelingbo is not giving me that but I say.
3: <laughs> yeah I can totally uh, kind of relate to that because I I have like the feeling because I really want to to visit the Philippines so like what I'm thinking is also that, oh, I should probably, like, try and learn some, like, before before I go there. And it is something that I kind of, I did think about, like, a bit sometimes when I was younger. But I think it was a bit difficult or, or, or like, different in, in my case because, uh, like, Tagalog, which is, a, which is the language in the Philippines, is obviously not as uh, widely spoken or, like, widely taught as, like, maybe chinese for example so there wasn't there wasn't that many like opportunities to do that um so i think that's also um kind of if if you if you have to go like um if there's too much work to try and find out uh, about it or learn about it then it's kind of like oh i don't know how much i want to like push to to learn this if if that makes sense
1: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah for sure
1: for me when i started learning Mandarin it took so much like mentally out of me because I would even though it's a completely different language and like I I don't know any like going into it like I would I would always like scold myself like you're Chinese like you should know this like and I'd be so afraid to talk to people and like try to practice because I I was just so worried what other people would think but then I actually had the opportunity to intern at a family friends company in Shanghai Uh, like one and a half years ago in 2019 and I feel like that when when you have to when you have to speak it like you just kind of like all right it doesn't matter like they know I'm learning like you just go for it you know but it takes like so much out of you like especially as like a transracial adoptee like when you're trying to learn your your birth language like it's just for me like I feel like I would have been more comfortable having another adoptee teach me help me so or, or maybe just in general, like one who was a little bit more understanding of, you know, my situation, mm-hmm. rather than just looking at me and being like, "Oh, why can't you speak this?" You know, yeah. That like no one ever when I was learning like in classes, like no one ever said that, but I did get that vibe a little bit. Like, and when I would tell professors, like, "Oh my," when they'd ask, "Do you speak at home?" I'm like. No, my family's white, and they just kind of look at me so confused.
2: Yeah. You've just made me realize that maybe that's why one reason why I didn't pay attention in my class, because, like, my teacher was Chinese. And so when there were, like, white people doing better than me, she kind of gave me a bit of a funny look. So I kind of played it up, like, yeah, I'm bad. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't care about these lessons, you know?
0: Hmm. I guess also, like, you don't want to try hard and, like, not do well you might as well like look like you're mm-hmm. not trying hard and not and not do well then because I think mm-hmm. it would hurt at least personally it would hurt me more to know like you know I'm you know trying all with the accents and stuff and then like it's still to be wrong mm-hmm. it takes so much like emotional effort and humility yes for sure yeah I just don't think like I
2: had I, I have a particularly nice accent to learn Chinese so when I say things I sound like British people tend to have a, like stereotype that like when they go abroad, they kind of in the face go, Do you speak English? I kind of come across as that person when speaking another language because my accent's just that bad. So I kind of ignore that by being purposely bad and then it backfires on me because then I'm just like I'm just bad at it anyway.
0: Yeah. It's very difficult to say. I
1: think helping to preface it with with saying, I'm learning or you know i want to practice or i only speak a little bit then the people are a lot less in my experience are a lot less uh harsh and you know more understanding so like oh they want to practice they want to learn
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's a good that's a good way to um explain and also like maybe like they they they'll set their standards like much lower and then maybe it will be above their standards so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you gotta set the yeah bar I mean, dude, that's honestly me yeah
2: yeah, like if you have your expertise low, then you're either right or pleasantly surprised. That's what I say. So.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Like for, for advocacy, though, I feel like when I'm speaking with my my friends who are from mainland China, like it's it's been helpful being able to like know some Mandarin. So like I was part of our school's like language exchange program. So you could you just get paired with someone who speaks the native speaker of your target language, then you help them with English. And just, like, talking about, like, all these different issues, like, it was super, super interesting to, like, hear their perspective and also (laughs) trying to describe, like, racism in the U.S. Like, in your second language, like, it's kind of hard. But, like, I feel like in general, though, like, being able to kind of bridge that language gap a little bit through, you know, if you speak a little bit of another language, like, it can really help with advocacy. And, like, I've seen a lot of things online, too, where – people are posting like infographics and things in like different languages. And like with the Black Lives Matter statements, I've seen a lot of people like helping to translate things to, you know, send to their parents whose language oh, isn't, English, first
0: language is English. Yeah. Sure. And I, th- I think it's really good because then you um, learn about, you know, it makes people's perspectives more um, accessible because just, mm-hmm. you know, the perspectives present in, Canada or in America are going to be very different from the ones that are you know, in Europe, in Africa, in Asia.
1: Mm-hmm. and Asia. I also think like being able to know a little bit of another language like I'm not at the place where I would feel confident translating something like for an official like, infographic or something but just you know if someone asks you like hey can you help me <laughs> try to explain this thing or whatever like just trying your best to like you know convey this concept like especially if it's something that's more like American or like British or like you know something that's very cultural culturally specific that someone might not be aware aware of like it's really helpful and really rewarding being able to like use that language skill in advocacy
0: for sure have you guys faced any backlash from um, being an advocate or and some of the things that you might say when trying to educate someone I know you mentioned um, I think both of you mentioned some conflict within your families, but outside of your family, like if you were to talk to people on the streets or your friends or internet.
2: <laughs> I get I argue a lot with racism on the internet, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um but again that's just the nature of the internet into people you know, like as you know, like I'm saying kind of speak up to family and friends and stuff, but in reality, um I find, you know, it's obviously a lot easier to do it from behind a screen because you don't know the person, you can always step back at any time and you can probably say a few more colourful things than you would to your (laughs) (laughs) friends. I'm just saying, like, if you come across me on the internet, like, I'm not a nice person. But you're always going to get that, I think. And I, I don't know. For me, I've always been... No, no, I've not always been. Over time, I've become gradually more blunt to the stage where... I say what I mean but I don't want to say it mean but sometimes I will just come out and say like outright and just go hey you're being like a complete idiot shut up and listen um but you know like I think sometimes my bluntness means I come across as quite confrontational which is why maybe I argue a bit more than maybe some other people would but um you know it's not just from people who are racist it's also from the people who are performative allies and don't want to admit that they themselves hold the racist views. uh You're always going to get that thing, but it's just sort of at the end of the day, it's reflection on them and not you. That's what I say, really.
0: Right.
2: They don't want to learn then.
0: So sure. I, I always wonder because you know I see sometimes you know in YouTube comments or whatever you'll see you know some some stupid racist thing, and I personally usually don't engage because I I don't think it's uh, much value in it because I think that, um, especially over the internet and with some random stranger, it's very difficult to actually reach an understanding. So you just kind of you're spitting facts and like stuff at them, but the, the, if they're not willing to like also listen, to me, it, it kind of feels pointless and a waste of time.
2: Yeah, I should probably say don't argue with every single racist you come across on Facebook because that is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> picky battles. You know, like even yesterday or the day before. I got into something, something on Facebook. Um, it was over China virus and everything, you know, and all of a sudden it was like, oh. we, like, we are not a virus. And this guy came in and was just sort of like, but like, if we can name things like Ebola, then why can't we have China virus and like you're trolling, right, you know, and it's sort of like, you can say things, but you know, if someone's coming from a place of bad faith, then just whatever, you know, I just kind of said, you've got to be trolling, and then got an admin in, you know, and the admin shut you down. But other times, you know, someone says something that, you know, that when they mean well, but it's still a racist, it's got racist undertones, then maybe then I'll step in and say, hey, I understand where you're coming from, but what you've said is actually harmful, you know. Mm -hmm. I I appreciate the sentiment, but you're racist. (laughs) 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 Um, Maybe they'll be a bit more receptive then. Like, it is definitely draining, and you've got to decide whether you have boons to continue if they do decide to argue or not um Mm -hmm. but I think that's one of the posts being on the internet that even if you don't you can always just take a step back and just go I'm not engaging with you right now if you're not going to listen to me um but yeah
0: so how do you know when like take a step back when when do you know that you've hit a wall or you need to stop for your own mental health you get really mad and
1: scared to check your notifications i personally don't like engaging with a lot of those people online just because it it makes me push away from you know wanting to be online where i you know what's going on and everything like on instagram and stuff like that so I, i really avoid engaging but I have confronted people before. Like, someone put on their post, like, you know, the love you long time, me love you long time, like that phrase, even though it's like contributes to like the hypersexualization of like Asian women and, you know, that whole thing, which, which, which I knew they were not trying to be harmful because it's like a very common like saying in like American culture, at least now. But as Grace was saying, like knowing the person's intention, but also like just deciding whether or not you have emotional capacity to engage also I feel like tone policing is another thing that that is really important here of like when people are like oh you could have said it a little nicer or like you know like just listen and when people like take it so personally or something when like like, what like why are POC not allowed to mad or express how they feel and I've just recently started looking at how perfectionism and like confrontation are two places that like white supremacy is in like the workplace and like workplace culture, especially like confrontation, where it's like, oh, you don't want to make someone else mad or whatever. But it's like if that person is straight up like being racist or disrespecting you, like you have every right to confront them and cause conflict, because like, why why should you take it?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've def- I've been told, you know, that I'm Angry at the world, and I take it out on everyone for it. It's
0: fair to be angry at the world. The world's literally going to shit around us, and it's all—it's all the generate. The the irony is, it's like the previous generation telling us, "Oh, y'all are too yeah. angry at the world," and I'm like, "Yeah, because you all fucked up." <laughs> like, exactly.
2: So like, why are you so angry at the world? You're like, you just you just take it out on everyone, and I'm just like, look, if you've been through, yeah. like, if you've seen some of. The shit people said to me like you'd be angry at most people you know and when people mm-hmm. keep reiterating the same things that you've heard from them, you like you will get annoyed at it. and they will like the a time when you do snap mm-hmm. um it's just sort of being able to control that you know like for me i can kind of tell when like even in the middle of an argument i can tell i'm either getting too heated or i just shut down like i, I don't know how to say it you know and you just kind of become really kind of numb to everything and you sit there like kind of stewing in emotions That's sort of when you kind of know when you need to mm-hmm. it's good that you're that passionate about the subject but don't I'm saying this and then again I'm I'm bad at this you know doing the same thing but it's like detrimental to mental health like don't sacrifice your mental health for it um literally like I'm saying these things and going out and kind of
0: this is the I as I do
2: um but you know you just kind of have have a bath take a shower whatever order some like uber eats or something watch some netflix just just put your phone down disengage focus on yourself and just like relax and then think afterwards am i in a state to continue with this or has it moved on now yeah it's like it's always good when someone gets passionate and heated about it I think because it does show how much they care about the issue but it's like burnout at the same time
0: and obviously mm-hmm. like that for you yeah because I guess if you're you know you're constantly um, engaging with people um, I can see how you would need to take like a lot a lot of like mental health breaks because like that, that is very exhausting and I can it would also um for me, like, if hearing all these, like, bad things in the world, it just makes makes me, like, depressed <laughs> about, like, the future. So do you find that you guys have to take, like, mental health breaks often, or do you try and, like, keep your engagement at a level where you don't have to do that too often to yourself?
1: Um, My personal social media sphere is kind of like an echo chamber where, like, everyone believes the same thing, I guess. So that's why I've been trying to post more on, like, facebook and like within my own like extended family group chats about it so you're like hey this thing's going on but setting boundaries is something that i've like been working on like for the past uh like year or so of just really trying to know when to step back and like i uh talking with someone who held very very different views from me but they were kind of like oh if you're not white, you can't talk about white supremacy. And then I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm 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 blocking you. I can't like. I was really, really, really trying to like be nice to this person, like have constructive conversations, which we did. But I don't know that that was just like the last straw for me, and that's when I put up boundaries and blocked that person, and I knew that the conversation was not going to go anywhere be constructive so just knowing your own capacity and like trying to step back before you're completely burned out but also i think another really important part of yes just cross community uh solidarity is creating like communities of care and that's something i've really really learned through my asian american student union is we are very very like strong on very capacity driven rather than like product or like event driven and like trying very very hard to check in with each other um like our e-board members like with the shooting that just happened in atlanta like sent a message a really really nice message in our group chat saying like hey i'm here for you like you know we're here for each other i think that's super important like surrounding yourself with other people that support you and like for me personally like surrounding myself with other AAPI and in general like POC that understand on like a personal deeper level like what's happening with this specific mm-hmm. issue so it's like you can kind of feel together and like grieve together but also together.
2: I don't know why people always see it as about bad disease intolerance but at the same time it's for your mental health you know like last summer I had a friend with wildly contrasting views with a lot of things and it got to a stage where, like, I had to unfollow him from my for taking my of my mental house because he was attacking the the, the things, the type of things that I'd post. I posted. He'd be like, well, if you are saying this?" You're like, an idiot. "Well, you know, he he he'd use some stronger language." Um, and it, you know, when I confronted him about it, I said, "Like, you say all these things against China, forgetting that I am Chinese." You know, like the first time I spoke to him. And I said I was from China. He just went communist at me. Um, you know. Oh, you want like, to
0: become friends with someone like that? I was because
2: he. Sorry, that sounded
0: really judgmental. I, I, no, I, he was I, like, I didn't mean it he like that. He was nice
2: that. to me. No, it was like he was nice to me. And he was just a bit tone deaf when it came to things like that. You know, like he, he thought that because I was Chinese, I was ever pro Chinese government, even though I wasn't. So I did have to teach him that. I was like, okay. And then kind of took that as like a free pass to slack off China and everything about it. Um, but you know, I did get to the stage, and I just kind of said, "Look, the stuff you're saying is harmful to me." And I, I you know, I don't come across as manipulative and go, "Well, if you're my friend, you say this." But you know, I'm saying like, as like as someone who is your friend, to hear you say these things is pretty hurtful. And then when he tried to gaslight me and but I was like, "Okay, there's no way." Like, I just blocked him. You know, I just said, "Look, I've I I you for the sake of my mental health." it's clear that you're change I'm not like almost like you're a lost call I didn't say yeah. that but I was sort of like Look, you. I'm trying my best to educate you in a way that you know in a nicer way than I would to other people but it's clear that you're not receptive I'm not going to waste any more of my emotional energy on you trying to teach trying to unlearn like trying to teach you to unlearn these opinions like I've tried for six months, and you're just doubling down on it now. Um, so maybe, yeah, I do want a bit of an echo chamber. But at the same time, like when he said, "Ben, six months is when he thinks the friends only for them to turn around gaslight you know, like echo chambers don't seem like such a bad thing."
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's good um for me. Like I have uh, like a main Instagram account on which mm. you know most people I know and lots of adoptees are on. And then I also have like, you know, my small personal um, Instagram account where it's, I guess that's my echo chamber, (laughs) where it's just people who are very close to me and obviously share um, similar ideas. So I think it's definitely if you, if you can't, you know, create your own echo chamber with like a large group of people, at least like try and have a small support group for yourself, because that's definitely very important.
2: Yeah, I think like it's yeah just have the group of people I mean I do but <laughs> I, I, I like because I just have the one face Instagram page um and it's just sort of like everyone follows that so I never really kind of know so I just kind of I mean ace can vouch how much stuff I post on my story all the time it's like like just it's a lot but um
0: yeah a lot
2: like good I just kind of want to get it out know, to as many people, you know. Like, even, you know, I know some of my friends, you know, because a lot of my friends are still white, um, still white. <laughs> you can't, you know. Um, but yeah, like a lot of my friends um, are white. Like, I've, like, I think just because of where I come from, uh, from a very small white town, you know, I don't really have many friends from there who are like people of color. I, it's only until now where I've kind of moved out and had to, like expand my network where I do have more uh, people of colour who are friends but for them it's just like I know that I still don't agree with them on all sort of on all grounds and it's just sort of like if I can continue to get the message across to them you know um even, and just kind of show the support to that as well like just support my friends that way. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll keep posting, but definitely sometimes overwhelming. <clears throat>
1: just... Yeah, for, for me, it's been very, uh, I don't know if healing is the right word, but just very comforting. Me finally having friends that really understood like the gravity of racism. Because, you know, in high school, I my my school was, like, 96% white. So pretty much all of my friends were white. And I, like, remember distinctly there were conversations, like, at our lunch table where, you know, someone didn't get into the school they wanted, and they're like, oh, there was probably a quota. And you know, other people were, heard someone else say, like, why are all the black kids sitting together like didn't like aren't schools supposed to be like desegregated or something and I was like oh <laughs> but yeah just, just in general like being in that kind of environment with no one else to like support you where you're put in a position where you have to speak up for your entire community and in general like people like people of color like it's so draining so for me being around other people that really understand and like you don't have to like you know, call them out for saying something like how you know, problematic. Like it just it just feels really safe.
2: My school was very diverse. I'm gonna say very diverse, I mean my dad's referred to it as the United Nations because I mean and then under the hand my, my sister went to a school that I've called as white as a sheet of paper. Because her school is about five hundred people and in the entire school off the top of her head, my sister could only think of five people including her who weren't white in a school of like oh. so that's like, like that's one percent of the student population there who weren't white. And then in my form of twenty two people, we had at least seven people off the top of my head who who were like people of colour. So I had more people in my class of twenty-two than my sister did her entire school. And we had like a thousand people in my school. Uh so I put I like I'm definitely lucky in that my school's a lot more diverse in that sense. So I never quite got the same like over racism that my sister did mm-hmm. but it was a lot more sort of like microaggressions that I never quite picked up on um and even though like it was like it was diverse so I never kind of got it on that point. but because there was no one else that was quite like me um in my year you know in, in being a transracial adoptee then you know it was hard but you did still feel Like an outside, even though there were so many people that looked like you. um Like, there was one other girl in my year who was a transracial adoptee, and she joined in about year 10. But we were never, we were were like completely different people, and we never really wanted to speak about it. I think just because we didn't want to be friends, just because we happened to be transracial adoptees, you know. So, I was friends with her because we kind of had a similar friendship group, but it was never sort of like, hey, you're adopted as well. So, sort of, oh, yeah, so are you, let's become friends sort of thing, you know. Um, so even, even within my friendship group of people who were people of colour, I never felt as if I had that same sort of support, because no one really kind of understood what it was like to be an adoptee um, with it all. So yeah, I I think sort of le- I think I think that's the downsides of high school. I think leaving high school and making friends because you want to make friends rather than being forced to allows you. to kind of... Yeah, pretty much. Like now, I kind of have to go out and make friends on my own, so mm-hmm. I can kind that's of a convenience choose my friends. You know, I mean, I, yeah, I can but I can kind of say, hey, I want to be able to talk to like more Asian adoptees about this like not just sort of like purposely seeking out but you know it's just sort of having someone who has the same experiences or at least similar experiences um it's taken mm-hmm. me about 18 19 years to get there but you know
0: better life than ever
2: pretty much yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. so um to kind of like finish off this topic, what kind of um, communities or um, resources do you recommend to people who are advocates or who are wanting to become advocates or you know be be more involved in um, what's going on right now, or not being involved, but like being involved in speaking against what's going on right now? Just gotta clarify.
1: For me, one that really stands out is at underscore h-e-y-t-r-a so like hey t-r-a um she's a biracial half black half white transracial adoptee transracial adoptee but she has amazing like infographics and just in general i've learned a lot about black community but also in general a different way to look at transracial adoption as an adoptee so that uh that resource has really stood out to me as well as um like the Asian Mental Health Collective. And then in general, just trying to find um, different, like adoptee specific uh, therapist uh, directories and like adoptee specific mental health resources. Cause it's, as we've all Mm -hmm. said, like it's a really unique experience that, you know, that everyone can really relate to. And then I guess for advocacy, um, I really recommend the Asian or the Asian American Justice and Innovation Lab—they have a lot of really uh, interesting free webinars and resources on like anti-racism.
0: And so, when you guys um, are advocating online, do you send? Do you post like uh, newspapers or opinion pieces or infographics? What, what what what's your go-to?
2: Everything, really, because I think everyone. I just it, it, it sound mm. weird if I say everyone consumes media in a different way. Like, some people might be more drawn to infographics, some
0: people mm, might be drawn true. to
2: like um, articles. So, I, I try and get like a mix in there. Um, I'm and also kind of how much people will pay attention to on an Instagram story. Um, but the pages that I follow, um, I can come up with a big list. You know, they always have a list of resources in their bio and stuff. Um, one of them is. Asian East London so they post a lot of things surrounding um like Asian hate crimes and like I think they may have Mm -hmm. a bit on adoption but I do also follow some more adoptee specific pages as well Um, yeah it's just sort of whichever whatever I think people are going to engage with most um you know infographics are good but at the end of the day because they don't always comprehensively cover things because there's only so much you can fit in, like,
0: a slide. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good visual way to attract people's attention. Yeah, I think it's really good that you brought up that um, pe- people Ooh. will respond and, like, learn differently um, from different forms of what you post, so it's good to acknowledge that. Apart from your, like, Facebook pages, are there any, like, in uh, internet communities? Like, I don't know if there's, like, a subreddit or uh, <laughs> if there's places that you that are really good to um, kind of talk to people um, with opposing beliefs. I don't know. I'm in this
1: one Facebook group called, just called Transracial Adoption, where there's quite a few uh, adoptive parents. And a lot of them are very open to learning more about like the racial aspect and like mental health aspect of adoption from adoptees. So that's been a good place for me to have constructive conversation with like adoptive parents um i've been on the adopt adoptee subreddit but it it was a little bit different experience than ours of like transnational adoption it it seemed like to me the posts i saw were more domestic adoption and like people who used to be in foster care Mm
0: -hmm. i like how you said that you were talking to uh specifically adoptive parents because i think that's really good because um i'm assuming that they're they're raising um adoptees and so hopefully you're having a positive impact on their child's life i hope so and
1: they're super open so i i recommend it because they will they also welcome adoptees so
2: i'm in a facebook group called unlearning racism um i think it's it's like hidden at the moment so i'm not sure if people will be able to join it even though that's not centered around like adoptees um, stuff, it's more just around racism in general. That is, you know, kind of the admins there are very good at knowing when something's in bad faith. You know, they they don't let white people or whoever talk over you. You know, um, bonus you can you can sometimes even get paid for your labor like PayPal or whatever. Um, you oh. know, so they rec- so, so they recognise like the emotional label that goes into it. Um, but they're like, if you're in that group, you are there to unlearn, and you know that you won't. That like people that that you're learning from won't. You don't have to uh, cater to their feelings. You don't. You know, it's about your experiences and how you feel, not about how the person trying to learn feels, you know, you um, should probably where I get some of the bluntness from because I know that I can just say, outright like what I'm going to say, you know, um. also, my, um, you know, depending on the age of people, uh, look at what your work company does, because mine has a race and equality network. So it's interesting to see, you know, what like some of the old generation says about these things, you know, like I'm probably one of the youngest there at the company learning how to have these conversations in a more professional environment as well, definitely does help. Um, so, yeah, just look at what your work does because you meet a lot of people from all different backgrounds and all different experiences there. Um, but then, yeah, like I talk to you guys. I'm still exploring that myself Um, but that unlearning racism group is definitely a good place to start and there's a lot of like um, emotional labour clubs out there that um, have spoken about adoption.
0: Awesome so before we uh, finish off this episode are there any other resources um, that you want to share that may not be um, specific to advocacy I feel like
1: i've come across quite a few like just in general like adoptee blogs and things like uh ng adoptee that one has been really interesting like i i feel like i have for me i've learned a lot from um, reading resources and things from black transracial adoptees raised by white parents just because they have a very different experience with race and it's more like it seems like they they've just had like more discussions and things i guess because it's the nature of the u.s at least i can speak for the u.s um it's been really really interesting and i've learned a lot hearing about the black transracial adoptee perspective as well as their different opinions with you know the history of adoption and transracial adoption and things like that so yeah i recommend just for me at least like i i really like hearing about different adoptees experiences, especially like non api adoptees?
2: How they deal with racism might, might be slightly different. You know, like over here in Britain, um, you know, it's still very much a racist country, but it's the way people respond to, to the racism, you know, like it's, I'm not saying it's not ingrained in other, in other countries, but over here, it's like, the media we have over here is always pushed off as either. Oh, it was just a joke. It was um, you being sensitive to Snowflake and all that. It's like over here, when we say something's racist, it's not like, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. But it's interesting, you know, like over here, how we deal with racism compared to other countries, and sometimes it's a bit sort of weird because I'm like, that wouldn't happen over here, though. Like, this is sort of the stuff we face. Like, I, you know, I don't know how to describe it. Um, but in your own country, I think sometimes it's like, yeah, it's good that other people have not good that other people have experienced racism, but you know, it's like nice to know that there's other people who have gone through similar things, and you're like, you're not like, In another country but in your own country sometimes it is quite isolating to think kind of oh well xyz in america like they don't quite understand like british culture over here if i was to say this happened or you know this happened to me um yeah like just within your country i think is a good way to feel a bit more supported as well
0: Mm -hmm. That's cool how you bring up the country thing, because I think all of us in this call are from different countries, because I'm in Canada. You're in Germany, but you're from Sweden. And based in the States and you're in the UK. So we all have, you know, um, different experiences from, you know, because obviously countries differ. um, Even with like Western countries, they differ quite differently in um, race and diversity and how they handle that diversity. I know Canada likes to pride itself on what being what they call a mosaic versus um, the U.S.'s melting pot. You know, we're a mosaic in the sense that everyone comes from different backgrounds and like we're all um, unique. We all contribute to making this beautiful mosaic kind of thing, which is also like a little bit.
2: That's so interesting, though, because like over here, like whilst you guys are saying you shouldn't assimilate, we should all be over here. We like. A lot of people's sort of view of either assimilate or get out of the country, basically. You know, like if someone comes, you know, if a number of family comes to the UK and they don't assimilate with the culture, it's like, oh, the lazy, the like, just, just go away. Like over here, it's very different. So to hear that point of view, it was like I kind of, you know, I agree that you know keep growing culture and stuff, but over here, it's still very much as a view of like. I even saw an anti-immigration protest with a sign, and it was like "integrate or emigrate." Like that is still very popular over here.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So to hear that, like, wow! Imagine if people actually thought that way.
3: <laughs> yeah, I would say it, it's similar in yeah in, in Sweden. I would say as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess that's something we'll have to talk about in the future on another <laughs> discussion panel. Thank you, man, Grace, for joining us today. I I loved listening to your um your stories and your experiences. And I definitely learned a lot. And um also thank you to all of our listeners who tuned in. If you're interested in participating in one in one of these episodes, email us at uh, somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com.
3: And don't forget to join our Instagram family at somewherebetween.fam to stay connected with updates, casting calls, and more. See you guys next time.